Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand? And why don't you just turn around, shake somebody's hand, smile, introduce yourself. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. My name is Pastor Rick Mayo. I am the director of SOTAD. Myself and also Cornerstone Pentecostal Church want to welcome you to SOTAD 2018, the church, the culture, and the kingdom. And I'm excited because already this this group tonight is much larger than our initial group last year, so we're very thankful for that. Amen. It is good to have our presenters that are here tonight and also our moderators. And tonight we will be hearing from Dr. Jesse Galindo immediately following uh, his presentation. There will be a moderated time of peer review, critique, and questions. In the gallery behind you, you will find coffee, tea, and water. Uh, Please help yourselves. Also, you will find other SOTAD and apostolic materials that are available for purchase uh, to my right and to your left in in the corner of the gallery. Uh, Those of you that have pre-registered and paid the $99, your your syllabus uh, was included in that. Uh, To those of you that are attending for free, uh, the syllabus is $75, and we have those available here tonight. Uh, Following tonight's session, there is a grill in the foyer of the Davenport Hotel that's right there, but their food is good. Uh, Personally, I really don't recommend you partying too late because our first session is 9 a.m. in the morning. So uh, I would stock up on maybe uh, some popcorn, some potato chips, and some bottled water and uh, get a good night's sleep get some Starbucks coffee in the morning, and we're going to hit it fresh at 9 o'clock in the morning. Tomorrow morning, uh, Reverend Timothy Haddon will be offering his presentation on an apostolic response to biblical illiteracy, and then Reverend Ken Bowe will be presenting a biblical definition of separation. Our moderator tonight is Dr. Stephen Allard. He was born in Bakersfield, California in 1961. As a missionary's kid, he lived in Ghana, Senegal, Ivory Coast, and France with his parents, who served as missionaries for 32 years with the United Pentecostal Church International. He went on to earn his Master's of Arts in Leadership at Hope International University in Fullerton, California, and a Doctorate of Intercultural Studies 
Missiology from Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. He has held minister's credentials with the United Pentecostal Church International for almost 40 years. In addition to leading his church, which is Abundant Life, Dr. Allard serves as the coordinator for Find and Facilitate Africa and director of Leadership Institute of Ivory Coast and as a consultant to the National Board of the EPUICI, Africa and World Missions are at the core of his ministry, philosophy, and engagement. He is widely traveled and continues to lead in leadership and mission seminars and evangelism events globally. A significant portion of his travels is related to conducting leadership training and evangelism among Francophone countries in Africa. He also has spoken at several French evangelism conferences in Quebec, Canada for Multicultural Ministries, United Pentecostal Church International. And now, why don't we lift our hands and lift our voices and convert this ballroom into a spiritual classroom. Come on, let's lift our hands and lift our voices and call on the name of our great God and give him great praise. We've come to glorify and magnify, exalt the name of Jesus. Come on, this is ours for the next three days. We invite you into this place, oh God. We lift up the name of Jesus, magnify your holy name, give you praise and glory and honor in the name that is above every name. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've come to exalt you. We've come to lift you up above every ideology and philosophy of this world. Magnify the name of Jesus. Edify the presence, the glory of our God. great big thank you to Pastor Mayo, the founder and host of the Symposium on the Apostles' Doctrine. Personally, it is a delight and a privilege for me to be here, and I want to thank him for his vision and for his passion to provide a space for scholarly dialogue. I believe that this represents a forum for reflection, dialogue, as well as engagement of all things pertaining to the culture, the church, and the kingdom. Pastor Mayo, I salute your leadership and that of your wife and the board for having a burden. For having a burden to convey to this generation the importance of the apostolic doctrine. Wow, I was blown away when I came to Spokane. This is my first time to be here. It's a beautiful city. I want to thank each and every single one of those that had any part in the hospitality that has been accorded to us as attendees, presenters, and moderators. This is absolutely stellar. I, I, I've never been to a place that provided this kind of a, a, a setting for us to come together and have some sort of a, a, a meeting as this. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm in awe. So this is a wonderful place for such a colloquium as we're going to be having here. 
as your moderator this evening, I wear several hats. Uh, it's my responsibility to, to take and advocate for the attendees, to maintain decorum in the Q&A session, which I'll do my best to do, as well as be a logistician tonight if I have to. However, one of my primary responsibilities this evening is, in, is, uh, is introducing a good friend of mine, uh, Brother Galindo. It's a tremendous joy for me to be able to introduce him this evening. Reverend Jesse T. Galindo III is the pastor of the Rock Church of Red Bluff and, uh, in Red Bluff, California. And he is the founding pastor of the Rock Church, Ar La Roca del Estado del Norte in Gerber, California. He is a graduate of Hope International University, earning his Master of Arts in Christian Leadership and is a candidate for his dissertation of his Doctorate of Ministry program at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary in Springfield. Reverend Galindo served as assistant pastor, youth pastor, church administrator, and school principal in Newport, North Carolina, and the founding pastor of Los Pentecostales de la Costa Cristal in Newport, North Carolina, and Los Pentecostales de Durham, Durham, North Carolina. Currently, he works for Wilson University as the director of human resources and finance and also serves as the liaison for bilingual advancement and as an instructor. Reverend Jesse Galindo is married to Justine Galindo. They have two sons, Bishop and Samuel, and one daughter-in-law, Lindsay. This evening, his presentation is The Effect of Technology and Social Media on the Church. It's my delight and privilege to introduce Reverend Jesse Galindo. started here. In the words of Tommy Craft, I need to make this thing fit a man. So we're going to, uh, um, first of all, I would like to begin by um, greeting all of you and uh, all of the fellow presenters. It's good to be here, to be with all of you this evening. And I'd like to thank Pastor Mayo and Cornerstone Church for the, visit, uh, the vision for such a meeting. This is an incredible venue, beautiful. Uh, it's stunning, and also for the sacrifice of sponsoring such a meeting. Having worked behind the scenes for several years at East Coast Conference uh, in Durham, North Carolina, the work going into these meetings is enormous just to get to this point. Uh, so I appreciate so very much uh, the privilege and the opportunity to be here, and I appreciate Pastor Mayo and the church for everything they've done to this point. Uh, it's uh, an honor to be asked to present this paper. Uh, it was written as part of a, um, my doctoral program at Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. And uh, it's in response to the church and culture in a, in a conference that I went to a couple of years ago uh, called the Society for Pentecostal Studies. And so I uh, was asked to write a paper, and I had the privilege of writing this paper. Uh, I asked... Uh, Brother Mayo had asked me to read it, and so I emailed it to him, and uh, shortly thereafter, he asked me to present this year. And uh, I said, absolutely, it'd be honored. Uh, but then I realized later that the qualifications for the paper had to be 3,000 words. And the challenge was, my paper that I wrote for school was 20,000 words. 
And so if I can put in perspective, 65 to 70 pages I had to manage down and, and just compress and massage to get it to uh, 10 to 12 pages. So there is quite a bit I did leave off, but uh, I thank those that helped me edit, namely my wife who is here with me. I appreciate so much. Uh, she should be, really be the one up here. She's the smart one. And um, also um, Brother Allard who kind of helped me. And then, of course, Sister Jennifer Butts, who is one of my co-workers at Wilson University. I uh, give honor to all of them. So we'll get started here. And uh, I'm going to read the presentation. And then my understanding is at the end, uh, there'll be a time for questions. There'll be a time for comments. And uh, we'll, we'll move this along. The effect of technology and social media on the church. The forward march of technology continues to incrementally challenge every paradigm of thinking and affect multiple facets of modern everyday life. Even the most novice of users benefits from these modern innovations. Inherent and embedded challenges lurk in a hyper-connected, touchscreen, ease-of-use world. These obstacles and potential dangers are not quarantined exclusively to the secular aspects of daily life, but can overflow into the realm of the spiritual and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This generation faces an onslaught of fast-paced, ever-changing realities produced from the volumes of information and stimuli generated by connected society, culture, and world. The church must consider even uh, concede several realities. First, the movement towards automation will not cease. Second, the ministry cannot preach against every new gadget or tech device produced. Technological advancements will come to be a part of the new reality in which believers live. Technology inculcates virtually at every aspect of life. Focusing on the existential challenges regarding the advent of technology as it relates to the mission of God requires circumspection, spiritual discernment, and biblical guidance. From the outset, it is essential to acknowledge that much of the ideology that secular culture advances comes through various forms of media. These are controlled by larger interests that use these mediums to promulgate their influence and agenda. To this end, it becomes incumbent upon individual believers and the body corporate to determine if these methodologies in question can be directed to serve the purpose of the church. As the church races toward the sunset of this age, social and geopolitical uh, unrest and instability rattle the foundations of governments and religions. Planted, uh, planted in the center of this melee is the body of Christ. She is the empowered witness of God, ready to explode into the ever-darkening world. The question remains, can social media and technology assist, or does it inhibit this last-day effort? It is obvious that the Apostolic Pentecostal Church is not the only religious group that deals with these serious challenges. Unquestionably, unquestionably, what is relevant today with regard to technology and social media will be obsolete in a few years, even months. 
However, current realities mandate the development, education, and channeling of these mediums of communication in the life of believers. These initiatives must be done with careful reflection and prayer so as not to become untethered from well-established biblical principles and traditions embedded in the ethos of apostolic Pentecostalism. Nuance or nuisance? The role of technology and its impact on everyday life fills a short chapter in the timeline of human history. In 1939, George Stibitz created the first simple relay which assisted in transferring of information. This discovery would lead to the modern-day calculator. While it seems minuscule in comparison to the devices and technology used today, what rings most notably is the year of discovery, 1939. Some quick math provides an understanding of how far technological advancements have come in less than 100 years. Daily, the modern-day consumer receives information in quantities that are difficult to comprehend. Emails, alerts, likes, texts, and notifications call like a street crier, beckoning for the attention of the user. Information can be accessed by a push of a button or a click of a mouse. Consequently, such access and automation have compounded possibilities and introduced pitfalls. The constant inundation of information is fraught with danger, promising at best some limited benefits. The quickly evolving nature of technology has created a conundrum for medical professionals. Dr. Eva Ritville, uh, MD, in her article, Facebook and Your Brain, describes the startling effects that viewing certain things on the internet can have in the physical and chemical composition of the brain. Quote, when, in it, when we view an attractive face, dopamine is released in the same reward pathway that is stimulated when we eat delicious food, make money, have sex, or use cocaine, end quote. By this mere statement alone, the, poten- the potentiality for abuse and even addiction looms in the shadows. Ritvo writes, Facebook stimulates the loads of dopamine as well as offering an effective cure to loneliness. Novelty also triggers triggers feel-good chemicals. Digging deeper into the mechanism, we find mirror neurons in the brain that are triggered when we see someone expressing emotions or engaging in activity. These neurons are responsible for feeling of empathy as well as for imitative learning. When you see smiling faces, your mirror neurons will have you smiling without even knowing why. Emotions are contagious, and Facebook is a hotbed of positive emotions beckoning us to return for more. So we do, end quote. A frigid dance is occurring between technology and humanity. Who is leading this dance? Ritvo continues, quote, Dopamine and oxytocin are powerful stuff, and no one besides Facebook has figured out how to offer shares of them to the public quite so effectively, end quote. Digital data is increasing exponentially on a daily basis. The Barner Group says in just a single day on the internet, 2 million blog posts are written. 860,000 hours of YouTube videos are uploaded. 
and 5 billion pieces of content are shared on Facebook. These staggering statistics reflect just a few, few focused mediums of social network and communication. What is not identified or quantified in this statistic is the multitude of mobile or web-based applications that are constantly accessed by youth. Benjamin Hale writes, Social media today consists of thousands of social media platforms, all serving the same but slightly different purpose. Of course, some social media platforms are more popular than others, but even the smaller ones get used by a portion of the population because each one caters to a different type of person. Whatever purpose, targeted audience, or sensory methodology chosen, little doubt remains that social media, since its introduction in 1997, has become a dominant player in the networking industry with an estimated 69% of the public using some form of social media. The rapidity with which technology changes continues to make studies and reports limited, difficult to utilize, and in some cases even obsolete. This creates some challenges, although it does not negate the already defined findings. A study completed by the University of California at San Diego, UC San Diego, and Yale University published findings focused explicitly on the application Facebook. In the article, researchers concluded that the extensive use of the Facebook social network creates a misleading environment where everyone seems to be doing better and having more fun than you are. As the researcher puts it, exposure to the carefully curated images from others' lives leads to negative self-comparison. These conclusions give way to the biblical counsel that warns against comparing ourselves amongst ourselves, 2 Corinthians 10.12. In a more troubling report, MarketWatch's Quentin Fautrell reports that a large majority of millennials, 64%, rated the photo filter app Instagram the world's most narcissistic social media platform. This constant intro view of life that focuses on self can breed negative consequences. Again, these trends are disconcerting because they contradict scriptural imperatives regarding selfless service to others, sacrifice and giving to the community, while at the same time bolstering one's self, pride, and ego. More screen time and more interactivity appear to be the intention and eventual goal. Patricia Robles in Television and Social Media, a match made in Hollywood, writes of the trending of the interactivity of social media and how it now steers programs, stating, given the popularity of the Internet, it's not surprising that most television programs have associated online components. These often include websites, as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube accounts. In most cases, these components are designed to provide varying degrees of interactivity. The conclusion seems simple. Instead of replacing the big screen of the television with the smaller screens of tablets, excuse me, computers, and the more mobile smartphones, producers of programming are partnering to create a more complete interactive environment. 
Robles continues, quote, the powerful relationship that has been developed between television and social media is one of the best examples of how channel, uh, channels can interact in a multifaceted, multidimensional, and symbiotic fashion, enhancing the experiences in both channels while at the same time creating new experiences not possible with either alone. Before the advent of the internet and social media, television content was broadcast in one direction that merely created the impression that television was not inherently social channel. In one direction, television programming uh, has always served as a source of millions of conversations amongst individuals. In the other direction, television program has always reflected what's on society's mind, ranging from its worst fears to its best dreams. Social media is a channel that can be monitored and participated in and integrated with other channels. Today, combining television and social media changes the nature and the scope of the conversation television produces, how television program itself is developed, and how those who participate in it market themselves. Other industries can evolve in similarly interesting ways by identifying complementary channels and finding ways to bring them together, close quote. This onslaught of information and the pitch of a cohesive fluid environment begs the question of how all of this screen time affects the culture and the church. If a large portion of society has one or more of these devices, can screen time, the amount of time one spends in front of a screen, whether it be a phone, tablet, or other electronic device, be enhancing or affecting or hurting the formation and expression of thought? Nicholas Carr in The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brain, takes an in-depth look at how this phenomenon is transforming and shaping society and the world and how people process and think. He recounts a story of the great philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who in his younger years fell off a horse and suffered significant injuries from which he never recovered. As he aged... His condition worsened to the point of severe bouts of vomiting and debilitating headaches that prevented him from fulfilling his duties as the professor of philosophy at the University of Basel. After resigning, he began to seek out, seeking out remedies for his ailments. Desiring to write again and not being able to, he purchased a typewriter. After learning to type on the new contraption, he returned to writing. The story goes that his friend Heinrich Koslitz noticed a change in the style of his writing. Nietzsche's prose had become tighter and more telegraphic. There was a forcefulness to it. Too, as though the machine's power, its iron, was through some mysterious metaphysical mechanism being transferred into the words it pressed into the page. You are right, Nietzsche replied. Our writing equipment takes part in the forming of our thoughts. This story echoes current concerns regarding how devices seem to affect the way thinking is processed, even altered. Carr supports his conclusion regarding the pairing of devices. He cites a 2009 study by Ball University Center for Media Design that, quote, most Americans, no matter what their age, spend at least eight and a half hours a day looking at a television, a computer monitor, or the screen of their mobile phone. Frequently, they use two or three of the, of the devices simultaneously, close quote. Instead of the minimalistic efficiency, it appears the net has grown. 
All these instruments are channels of contact, communicating messages, concepts, thoughts, and ideologies to their open mind and ready open-minded and ready recipients. The precise commodity of time. The marking and managing of time dictates human life. This temporal chronological casing reigns and also controls human interaction. Proof lies in the fact that goals, dates, meetings, birthdays, and anniversaries fill calendars. People etch dates of birth and death on burial markers. God, on the other hand, lives above these finite trappings. He chooses instead to allow himself to obligate the calendrical and chronological confines that hold humanity in check. While God operates in infinite wisdom and management of his limitless power with supreme discipline, humanity inherently lacks such an ability. The limited capacity of our humanity requires reminders, schedules, and outside accoutrements to maintain a discipline of time and attention. Time, specifically a 24-hour day, ticks by by requiring management so the individual believer does not find themselves overindulging superfluities and avoiding the eternal matters of the soul and work of the kingdom. God places value on how we spend our time. The Bible exemplifies this concept in Genesis 3 and 8, where it states, in the cool of the day. It makes note of a moment and a time when God explicitly meets explicitly with Adam. It is a mutually agreed understanding by biblical scholars that this refers to a time when God met daily with Adam for communion. Biblical record does not make the reader privy to the time, purpose or content of this these uh, this meet these meetings but it is clear it did occur this meeting was an expression of the earnest desire of God to be relevant present and in an ongoing relationship with humanity the essential design of God included daily fellowship and communication with Adam God created Adam to have and to need this consequently Adam was not complete or whole without it. The fall halted this instantly. Humanity lost the key element to wholeness and until present seeks to restore it through unfulfilling avenues. It does all this still under the frame of chronological time. Satan understands this gaping hole in humanity and attempts to fill this void that is the exclusive domain of God. Human history is a narrative of the lives of individuals who have attempted to assuage their imperfect and disconnected condition with temporal satiations. While the world continues to struggle in the malaise, the born-again, regenerated believer understands this because of the infilling of the Holy Ghost and its completing role. Wholeness empowers the believer to become an actualized, empowered force in the mission of God in the world. As formation and growth occur, a believer develops a keen awareness to the obvious trappings of sin. Thus, the tactical maneuverings of the enemy tend to become more alluring and subtler. How does technology, 
the believer and the church fit into this conversation. Distraction, time consumption, and self-absorption can disturb, disturb, I'm sorry, can disturb, interrupt, and deter a child of God from his or her expansion to reaching their essential self. This impedes them from completing their God-called purpose. Anything that prevents an individual from actualizing into the mission of God hinders the higher plan and will of God on this earth. Make no mistake, all are called to fulfill a role. Thus, free will, the ultimate expression of love by God to man, is influenced and affected. Free will is the privilege of all humanity. However, this privilege does not continue without attendant risks or potential dangers. In his book, The Reason for God, Timothy Keller quotes C.S. Lewis stating, Hell is the greatest monument to human freedom. With privileges come certain undeniable realities and responsibilities. Now what? The austerity of posterity. The Apostle Paul commands the Ephesian church and by proxy all New Testament believers to walk circumspectly and redeem the time. The admonition by Paul to the church at Ephesus comprises three essential elements that remain important for the church today. First is the command to walk. The church should be in a constant state of forward movement and in advancement. At times, those progressions are measured steps, while other times it may be large leaping bounds. This advancement cannot be a careless, reckless ambling through time. Rather, the qualification Paul delineates for this forward advancement require pause for serious consideration. Before proceeding further, this paper does not intend to lay out sequential steps for managing technology, the internet, and social media. Each man or woman of God is imbued with conscience, the word, godly counsel, and most importantly, the spirit of God. The deepest intention of this paper serves to initiate conversation and intentional action going forward. The second admonition by Paul admonishes us to walk circumspectly. And the third is to redeem the time. Therefore, it requires purposeful deliberation and planning by those given charge by the Holy Ghost to keep and watch over the flock of God. As Satan is subtle, he has the capacity to the slight of spiritual hand to introduce, assimilate, and intoxicate even the sincerest into a careless, unkempt spiritual walk. The words from the letter to Timothy resound, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. It is this same Demas who was referred to by Paul as a fellow laborer in Philemon 1.24. Circumspection is simply inspection of the circumference, or what is around us. Plainly spoken, Paul's, Paul admon, uh, Paul's admonition, excuse me, Paul admonishes a constant ongoing looking around with wisdom, astuteness, and input from godly counsel. The ultimate gift of God is choice. The redemption of time connotates recovering from the dominion of another. This cautionary counsel from Paul serves to provide actions and steps to help govern the individual believer and the church corporate. Good, strong, wise choices do not remain isolated in a moment. 
What is decided and settled today will have repercussions for tomorrow. Paul recognizes this and admonishes the reader to take heed, knowing the implications of choices made today will reverberate forward. He urges attentiveness to doctrine, ministry, and liberty, but in his admonition to Timothy, he declares, take heed unto thyself. The apostolic declaration accentuates the urgency and responsibility incumbent upon believers to manage where they choose to focus their attentions, affections, and time because this, these will affect one's vision and worldview. The truest intent of this paper is for apostolic leaders and believers to become educated and keenly aware of the benefits of technology, the internet, and social media while not engaging in the dangers which may lurk in the shadows. Conclusion. In the closing chapter of Christ and Culture, H. Richard Niebuhr posits an interesting thought to consider concerning choice. He states, in our historical present, we make our individual decisions with freedom and in faith, but we do not make them in independence and without reason. We make them in freedom because we must choose. We are free. We are not free to not choose. Because God grants humanity the ability to act or react according to our own judgments, we must carefully choose how we intersect our lives and churches with the ongoing advent and usage of modern technologies. The battle for humanity wages at an unprecedented level. Engagement or lack of engagement by the church cannot change this reality. Technology, the internet and social media are not the enemies. Rather, when used with understanding of its audience, these tools can be powerful and use, useful instruments in the mission of God. Impacting culture requires a discerning spirit and willingness to hear what both the spirit, the word, and the elders are saying. No longer can ignorance or ambivalence reign as the calcification of an anti-God posture presses in upon the culture. God has chosen a spirit-filled, empowered, and emboldened church to exact his will on this world, society, and culture. While the message never changes, audiences and methodologies do. As Niebuhr said, we are not free to not choose. It is possible to change methods and remain concreted to long-held convictions and teachings. In this day, spectating is not permitted. Thoughtful, well-defined positions delineate, protect, and empower the believer. Because culture shifts and moves and exists in a petri dish of constant upheaval, out of it come new challenges. Embedded in these challenges come technical, technological advances that produce new things at a rapid rate. These can enhance or obstruct the mission of God. The church must reach and teach while not alienating an entire generation that was nurtured and inculcated through the mediums of smartphones, computers, and tablets. While society, culture, and media outlets attempt to control the meta-narrative and shape the schema of the world today, the church must respond. We are not disconnected nor operate in isolation. We are in the world but not of the world. Using the same tools with precision, the church can use social media, the internet, and technology to create local narratives that tell a different story. 
These local stories offer hope, change, community, and restoration that goes beyond political slogans and catchy, trivial sales pitches. They present a possibility and a path for every individual to explore all the promises and realities found in the Word of God. Let's give a hand to this great presentation. Thank you, Pastor Galindo, for that very prayerful, insightful uh, presentation. We are now opening this part of this presentation for questions. Before, uh, just before we take questions, I would like to qualify, or not qualify, but clarify that uh, I do have social media. My church uses social media. Uh, I teach for Wilson University, which is an online school. Uh, I believe there are benefits to it. So um, I, I want to just make those qualifiers before we dig in too deep. One, can we, when you present your question, can you state your name and where you are from so that can be clarified? Thank you. Go ahead, brother. We have gentlemen that are going to have microphones. Can we use those, please? All of this is being recorded. Uh, mic check, check, check. Can you hear me? Hello? 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 Mic coming through? Barely. Can we get some volume on that microphone, please? Mic check. There we go. Uh, hello, my name's uh, Brother Cody Cobbs. I'm from Spokane, Cornerstone. Uh, my, I just have a quick question. Do you, your 70-page, this is based off of your 70-page paper, correct. is that correct? correct? Are you making that available by chance? Um, uh, Maybe just for me. Give him a sure, prize right now, brother. Give him a prize. That's a... Uh, <laughs> I'll have to, I, I, I did interviews and studies, I did some analysis in it, I would have to get permission from the people that uh, I interviewed uh, before I could do that, because, or I may have to redact some things, names and things of that nature. Uh, I understand. But I, I, I can look into that. Okay. All right, thank you. They may give me permission and say, go ahead. Right. But, you know, I don't want to put anybody. <laughs> can I give you my email? <laughs> Persistent. Well, just for well, when you find out, one well, way. Well, I, I absolutely, and I can get your email, and if okay. if, if at that point we, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, thank you. Yeah. It's it, well. We have one back over here. This sister, right, right Got a here. Couple. Uh, yes, I'm Sister Kareen Browning, and I am a middle school teacher mm -hmm. in the public school. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if there was any of your research that showed the effects of the Internet on children and social media. There, there was. Um, 
in terms, are you speaking of behaviorally? Or are you speaking of... Um, okay, brain research. There was, there was more done in the paper. Uh, Dr. Blash is here, and I've kind of partnered with him to uh, kind of maybe help us with some of that. He's a, uh, he has a doctor in, psych- doctor in psychology, uh, and so maybe if someone would like to take a microphone to Dr. Blash, he, he might be able to speak to that um, on, on a real-time level versus um, having to wait for the data. Go ahead, Dr. Um, fascinating topic and excellent question. The, the research, and there's lots of research right now, um, looking at um, some diagnoses such as AD, uh, ADHD and how that is made worse or what the contributing factors may be as relates to social media. Uh, specifically, um, the research is looking at how quickly the information is being processed in social media versus how slowly it's, or excuse me, being presented in social media um, versus how slowly it's presented in other educational forums like school, Sunday school. And so what's happening is the children's brains are being bored because information's coming at them so slow. Because in school, we actually want them to learn versus social media doesn't have a learning component component that's like school. There's a component, but it's not like school. So the research is around that. Um, so all, most of the research is around attention. And then, of course, um, some of the pleasure centers that he talked about. If indeed, and it's true, that the neural activity um, of social media is tapping into the pleasure center of things that's similar to maybe doing drugs or sex, and if kids are seeing social, getting social media at first or second grade, you can imagine it's kick-starting that pleasure center um, to be more open than for other things much earlier. Thank you, Dr. Blash. I will say I, I have ADD, and uh, I have noticed personally uh, the change in my attention. Um, it, what used to, in the last few years, what used to take me a couple of days to write a paper, a 10-page paper, might take me three weeks now. And it's because of a multitude of tasks I may have, but it's also because I realize sitting down and, and doing those things becomes more arduous. So... I do have a question as moderator, Dr. Blash, Dr. Galindo, future. It motivated me, Dr. Blash, when you said that I know that the brain does recover, like in the case of pornography, there is that healing process. If a child or whoever has time away from the media aspect of it, does, does it have the ability to recover like in the aspect of, of in pornography or some of the other, that's the only one I can think of right now. Um, I don't have a good technical answer for it. I've got some anecdotal answers. Just like many other things, it's best not to be exposed at all to some things because the process of healing is so long. Um, you know, it, it's going to take potentially years for that healing to happen, um, and I'm, I'm putting healing in air quotes, if healing means re, 
modulating the brain to function um, at a pace that's typical for communication, even holding a conversation, um, or for reading a book, or for writing a paper. It's going to take a long time because um, we never break totally free of it. They're, they're, I mean, they may not have the video games, but it may be something else. And so it's constantly rubbing that sore um, and pulling that. The, the right terminology is the conditioning is being uh, reinforced at these intervals that aren't predictable, which makes the reinforcement that much stronger, actually. So if you could break away from it completely for many years, then there is strong recovery. Um, but that's nearly impossible in our world. Hmm. There's a gentleman over there that... Um, Evan Morrison from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and bear with me. I am trying to put pieces together. Um, from the onset of your paper, you make mention of that there is very little usefulness in trying to create hard, fast rules due to the nature of technology and its changing uh, and rapid innovation. Um, and later on, you make connections between freedom of choice and its implications on our future and that implication on redeeming the time. And so my question centers around trying to move towards um, not necessarily creating hard, fast rules, but potentially could there be use in comparing the purpose, tech, stepping to the meta level, comparing the purpose of technology and social media to the purpose of the church in a sense to create some kind of guidelines or maybe lenses, filters. So I'm thinking specifically for young people as they use and engage with these things, run it through this filter so that it can then trigger some things of how am I using my time? Absolutely. That's a, that's a fabulous question. Uh, just uh, two days ago or day before yesterday, I can't remember it all runs together. I was driving up here. My wife was driving and um, I happened to be on Twitter and uh, I uh, was watching a, a little interview with, I think his name is James Murdoch. He is now the CEO of Fox News. And he said that uh, one of the dangers now, and this goes to your question, I'll get there, but I'm going to kind of go around the bases on this. Um, one, of the one of the questions they asked him is there is a danger in, in, in social media with the media. And he's, his response was, quite astounding to me. He gave a, a statistic, and I wish, I'm wanting to say around 60%. He said, now people are getting their news, what's going on in the world. The majority of it is coming through social media. Uh, they're no longer going to uh, Fox News or um, CNN or whatever your, your news choice outlet is. They're going to their media websites, their social media uh, apps, and they're getting the news that way. And he was, he was decrying the concern, of course, from his part, that a narrative is being formed and you're just getting whatever that social media's uh, narrative is. So the question is, is can we take the purpose of social media and somehow morph it or massage it to, to, make the, uh, to work for the church? 
if I'm understanding? And my answer is yes. Um, but it takes someone skilled. Um, I am not, I would not consider myself skilled. Uh, my sons are. Uh, uh, some of your sons are, your daughters are. But the reality is getting them to do it. Uh, getting someone who is keyed in on that and creating that material. Um, and so, you know, we have a Facebook page. Our church does. Our church has a Twitter account and our church has a uh, Instagram. So I told our uh, manager or whatever, our IT manager, uh, that I only wanted us people to follow us because I always wanted our church to see what, what the church, what we were doing, what was going on. Uh, but it has to move beyond a, a, an announcement mechanism. It has to become, and I think for that to do that, you, you have to find someone that's sophisticated enough and has the time to begin to do that, uh, to begin to create those narratives as social media outlets do and, uh, and put them out there uh, so that it, it can go out in, in a godly manner. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes, sir. Microphone, please. So um, you mentioned social media as well in your answer that social media is really taking the place of the typical news outlets. Correct. Is it possible and did you find anywhere in your research the potential for social media to take the place of the religious outlets? Hmm. I did not, but that's an interesting question. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to look into that. Um, I do know, I was just in, a, as a matter of fact, I was looking at a book, and I can't remember if it was uh, Barna's America, Faithless America, or um, Tim Keller's Christ-Centered Church. One of them was talking about how now many people now are having, I think it's up to 30%, 20 or 30% of their religious experience, and I was talking church world here, not speaking apostolic Pentecostalism, but church world is they're getting their religious experience through social media, through apps. Um, we have it for people that, uh, you know, are, get services overseas, um, people that uh, are shut-ins, uh, but it, what, what's trending now and what they're saying is it looks like there's a movement towards... Um, that becoming the method of, of spiritual interaction, and you know the dangers of that. Matter of fact, I was in my class, the person that, one of the classes I taught on, uh, that I didn't teach, but that I took at AGTS, uh, was by a, a, uh, a guy that he now is up, in, up here, up northwest somewhere, but he was talking, he started a church in Berkeley, um, God bless him, and um, he was talking about the culture and how they had to do it. But he was talking about how he made connection with someone with a large movie producing studio. And the new wave or the new movement is, is VR, virtual reality. And, and that what he said in our class was people will be able to virtually log into a church service and be sitting on that pew and, and never, ever, ever leave their house. They can be in their pajamas. So there is... Um, there is the possible, and, and this is what, what he told me he knew firsthand. Uh, he, uh, well, 
That's what he told me. So uh, he told our class. Can we get this on microphone, Bishop? No, that's fine. And I'm done talking, but... No, it's okay. I'm curious about this because I know many churches have a way to give online. I'm sorry. To giving online. Giving online, yes. So that's one part of what happens in the service. Mm -hmm. I wonder if giving online is a predictor of future online membership. That's interesting. Just a thought for another dissertation. Sure. You know, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. And, 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 and I think some of these things might be fishing lines to see how much participation is there. So then we can move it to this. And uh, then we can move it to the next level. Uh, I, I, uh, it'll be interesting to track this out in the next five to ten years. Because technology's going that way. I mean, you can go into any mall, and I think a Microsoft store will stop you and say, hey, try these things on. And these are just fishing lines to, to get you into these VR glasses and things of that nature. But he, he was pretty adamant about this is where it's going. So, oh dear. This gentleman right here is the first hand that I saw. And then that sister back there will be next. Thank you. I'm Brother Sean Tiesfeld. I am from here in Spokane, Washington. Uh, my question has to do with the addictive nature of... Could you give us your uh, name, Brother? Uh, Sean Tiesfeld. Okay, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. No, no problem. Um, I, I was curious with the recent acknowledgement of video game addiction being a classified medical disease mm-hmm. and the likelihood of social media addiction becoming a classification of uh, legal uh, addiction as well. The church advocates, you know, avoidance of other addictive things. Don't go to the bars if you're an alcoholic. Don't do drugs. Um, Do you think that the church should advocate a similar stance to people who have a predisposition to an addictive personality? I, in my church personally, I, I speak to people and I tell them, if you can't handle it, you have to get with somebody that will hold you accountable and not do it. Uh, but I think technology uh, and where it's going is such, a, is such a moving thing. I think I read somewhere that Facebook, if you gathered all of the followers in Facebook or those that open the app, they're the fourth largest nation in the world. Uh, it's, it's, we live in a culture where my genera- the generation under me, my sons, don't know anything but technology. Uh, they don't understand anything. So to take that, aw- take that away um, would be difficult. But again, we're dealing with fallen humanity that is in a fallen state and has the potentiality to, to become addicted to various things. Maybe, maybe Bishop Wilson or, or someone else might want to speak to that in terms of or even brother brother Blash about Dr. Blash about about addictiveness, but um, these are realities that the church is always going to have to be constantly moving and dealing with uh, with regards to people that come out. I I pastor in a town of of, of there's a high level of methamphetamine use, um, so when I have people come to me, they come with addictive personalities. They have addictive traits. They, they get in, and they are completely on fire, but, um, you know, I, 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 they also have the same access to cell phones that I do. So, I don't know, Bishop, maybe, I don't know, Bishop Wilson might want to say something, or Dr. Blash, 
I'm certainly not the expert at this, but have um, kind of walked these aisles a little bit. This lady back here was the next one. Can we get her a microphone? Hi, uh, my name is Sister Rodriguez. I'm from Cornerstone. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of just was wondering from the standpoint of, do you believe that the benefits of the usefulness of technology, like you're saying within the church of reaching out and being made known and everything else, do you think the benefits outweigh, I don't know how to put it, basically the, the trash risk. you have to see hmm. to get to there? And if we're supposed to, you know, keep our minds on whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are good report, well, you have to see a lot of stuff to get to that stuff. And um, I have heard that there are people that have become addicted to pornography and other things by just... They weren't meaning to. They just landed on something, and things started there. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of unavoidable. That's a good question. Um, Here's where I personally stand, and I certainly leave my the floor to the elders in this because um, I I think there is benefit to them. Uh, But we're living in an age where this paper was written a year and a half ago. And the technology's already changed since then. Uh, we have to get to a place where I think we have to teach biblical principles, you know, whatsoever things. Uh, because, as I mentioned, I, it'll be impossible to keep up. So we have to be proactive. Uh, but I, again, defer to your pastor, whatever your pastor teaches or instructs on, that's, that is house rules for the church. I know some churches that do not engage in any social media. Um, and I do know some churches that do. Um, I don't fault those that don't or do. All I say is um, everything, let everything be done in moderation according to public, public, uh, according to your pastor. <laughs> Put the microphone over here, Brother Haddon. Tim Haddon, Portland, Oregon. You know, the question that I've got as you're going through this, and I'm glad Brother Blash is here, the diagnostic of all the disorders, the DSM-5, has yet to even rate sexual addiction as a classified disorder. But they are beginning to, uh, which of course disorders now has moved away from the word addiction, in their attempt to try to rationalize internet addiction, if I'm correct, as far back as I think 2010, uh, they actually had somebody engage in pharmacotherapy uh, for an actual internet addiction, more compulsivity with pornography online, actually enrolled himself. So they're, they're struggling today with something that they're not classifying within the DSM-5 as an actual disorder because a lot of it's behavioral. But we do know that there's dopamine dumps that are happening on massive scales, which does a whole lot to the brain. So my question is this. At what point does the apostolic church start to implement a pretty strong dynamic of teaching? At what point does this become 
Internet's here to stay. We're not getting rid of it. And, and, and everybody's got these arguments about all kinds of different technology, and we all have our platforms to stand on. But at what point, Dr. Glendo, do we begin to really bring this to the forefront of things that we're teaching in our local churches? Because if kids are moving into something that people are actually getting pharmacotherapy for, yeah. and it's actually proved, uh, one of the case studies in 2010, the pharmacotherapy that he went through actually removed which, of course, it's suppressing dopamine. But it actually worked, and when he came off it, he went right back to it. So they're moving towards moving this into a classified DSM-5 mm-hmm. as that progresses into a disorder. Mm-hmm. So is the church prepared? Are we talking about it enough? Which, to me, is a rhetorical question because I don't think we are. But at what point, Dr. Galindo, do we bring this into our churches? And when do we start teaching this? That's a good question. One of the, uh, one of the uh, chapters in my bigger paper is the biblical theology of communication in the human senses. And um, to sound a little bit basic here, everything we know at the fall, human, the image of God was defaced by humanity. Um, and so in that relationship, and this is, again, the long answer to maybe your question, um, when we when that relationship was severed, okay, the devil began to substitute, if I could say, everything to keep humanity from res- that restorative relationship that was the initial essential that God created in the beginning. Um, I think, personally, we have to begin now. We have to... Uh, uh, in the words of Oliver Wendell Holmes, one of my favorite quotes, we must have the courage to act instead of react. Um, and, and we've got to get to a place where uh, one of my favorite scriptures, a, a prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself. We've got to begin to foresee those things. Um, gaming has become a huge thing just in the last two years. Um, my, both my sons, don't shoot me for this, game, they play keep it in, in check, but um, there's not going to be, in other words, this thing is going to continue to multiply at an exponential rate, and what we cannot be guilty of is catching up, because everything then, look, you're dealing with a culture that all they know is technology, okay, you can't, imagine us taking all of our phones and our computers and everything and just chunking it. And some of us might be happy that way, but the reality is then everything you know, the connectivity of our world, everything you know about what's going on with your family. Uh, I was joking with my son the other day. Uh, we were talking about his phone or something. I said, buddy, I'll take that away and I'll write you letters and, and put a stamp on it. You know, in a fortnight you shall see your father again. You know, I, we, could, we, could, we could, but think about that. And so this thing is not slowing down, as you said. There's not going to be, as a matter of fact, it's going to continue to grow. And I think um, personally, ministerially, as a pastor, these are things that have to begin to be addressed immediately. Um, And, um, well, I'll just leave it there. But I think it has to be addressed immediately. Go ahead. Pastor Rick Mayo, Spokane, Washington. 
Dr. Galindo, I appreciate your presentation, your paper so much for addressing what in a lot of places would be considered the elephant in the room. I recently heard, and I'm uh, dovetailing this with what uh, Brother Haddon just mentioned, that there are now 12-step recovery programs for different social media programs and platforms such as Facebook and Instagram. I'm all in favor of technology being a tool, and I don't think we can undo that and should not undo that. But I'm wondering if it's incumbent upon us to have to put the bit in the mouth of social media and set the example and finally say we don't need it, we've survived this long without it, and go all the way to heaven without it. Just my feelings. I, uh, I think our world, uh, Pastor Mayo, I think one of the, just a comment on that. Uh, I think your tech companies are noticing this. And uh, I, on their latest Apple update, you will get uh, weekly a screen time uh, Scream time music. Already have it. And it will tell you how much social media. It's already on Yeah, you, it's, it's on your phone. Someone posted recently that they had a boring life because uh, their screen time. It was Dr. Bo. Yeah, uh, that I think yours was, I don't remember what it was, but it was like next to nothing in social media. But, but I think there's a recognition also. I don't think they recognize it enough that they want to wean us from it. But I think it's to appease their uh, technological consciousness, but you're, you're exactly right. We're in a position where we have to begin to make, um, make statements about it and, 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 and move forward. Dr. Balash. Microphone. I'll try to be very brief. We, um, so we have two words. One is addiction. One is idolatry. Whereas we may not have a great deal of theology around addiction, we've got a great deal of theology around idolatry. Anything that God said he would do for you, anything you turn to to get that thing done, that's your idol. That's right. But I think our challenge is if we just single out social media and don't talk about our food addictions, our food idols... Are, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, no, absolutely. Then, then we're going to we're going to really um, miss something. So to talk about idolatry, um, addiction is what happens when idolatry is not checked. But we can't let the world give us that word addiction and then use it in the church to say, okay, when it reaches addiction, then we can address it. We yeah. already have yeah. a, a concept Good. for that. It's idolatry. Good. When it hits idolatry then we need to preach hard against it. But I, I caution us to, to be single-minded in that approach. Uh, preach against idolatry no matter what the idol is. Right, right. Overeating anything. Yeah. Uh, my name is Ashley Morrison uh, from Memphis, Tennessee. Can you speak up, okay, sister? Yes, Ashley Morrison from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I just had a question uh, regarding what you may or may have not mentioned in your paper or current presentation. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned technology, and so far we've talked about things like social media and um, gadgets and the such. But um, 
do you at any point in your paper talk about technology in the sense of the medical world and um, considering things such as uh, where cells are becoming duplicated in, through technology and it becoming a way of creating life and um, thinking about that in the church for whether it's families who struggle in getting pregnant or having children, where is the line drawn in that aspect of technology? Uh, do you talk about that in your paper? And if you don't, what are your thoughts on that? In, in, my, in my bigger paper, I do not. It's specifically regarding um, um, the, the dealing with the, the media, the medium of technology yeah, as, 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 it, as it is affecting the church. Um, I think that the um, Bishop Wilson, did you want to say something? I thought you had. Okay. Um, but no, ma'am, I don't. But that's, that's another aspect of technology. And so um, another dissertation. Go ahead. Um, I think one of the things I think, Brother Dr. Galindo, that we have to keep in mind is we have to contextualize uh, technology and its advancement within the context of our own history, mm -hmm. right. human history, not just church history. And um, these same kind of tremendous fears, whether it's an exact parallel or not, is not the point here, but took place with the invention of books. And uh, while that was centuries ago, it was a revolution in the world and in the opening up of individual freedoms mm -hmm. to learn and to make decisions. The irony is, is that the first books were created by Christians. There were no books before Christians invented books. The second irony is, is that the institutional, that is, Roman Catholic Church, was vehemently to the point of killing people against making the Word of God in, available in book form to, um, to the general public. So Christians started books and then the Bible was made available, but as presses became uh, uh, wider spread, other books were printed, and pretty soon you had all kinds of heretical, philosophical books being printed. Mm -hmm. And today you have hundreds of thousands of books being printed annually, of all sizes, shapes, and sorts. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> while the internet takes all of that to a whole nother level, the basic principle here is that the internet has done on a quantum scale what books did centuries ago, mm -hmm. and that is it has empowered the individual and has given freedom that has reduced the power of the state the power of the educational institution mm -hmm. and the power of anybody who wants to suppress and control right. 
the dissemination of information. Um, uh, so I think a high degree of caution has to be taken in terms of trying to resolve the problems by uh, manipulation and control of data. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I think we're going to have to move away from trying to extrapolate the answer to the problem out of the problem, mm -hmm. which is technology itself. Mm -hmm. So by fixing the computer or so forth, and all of them have uh, temporary remedial value, but the, the problem is fixing the user. Yes. And, and, uh, and we may, we in the past have taken the simple route, and some of us still do, and sometimes it, for the moment, it is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I'm not discounting that. What I mean by that is I'm not discounting saying, no, we don't use our computers for this. Right. Okay. But in the long run, um, this will turn into a, another 20-headed uh, hydra before it's over. Mm -hmm. And then you're s spending all your time trying to identify all of the thises. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, we've already went through a lot of that even in our simple elementary stages of the development of technology. Right. And um, uh, so as a consequence of that, uh, I think there has to be a much more serious um, approach that says we're going to make better people. And while other people are making better machines, we're making better people. Mm -hmm. And for those that would say, well, how do you do that? Well, how did they make these computers? We are going to have to apply ourselves to getting this done. And shallow theology is not going to get it done. And shallow preaching is not going to get it done. And just attacking knobs is no longer going to get it done. Right. It did when I was young. Mm -hmm. You could attack the knob and say, keep that out of your house. Yeah. And there's still a place for that preaching also. Mm -hmm. But in the bigger context, just last week, or in the last couple of weeks, just yesterday, uh, Brother Young, who's here somewhere, baptized uh, via the Internet, had a preacher in Africa baptized, and then he's baptizing his whole congregation. And then... Uh, Brother Russell, can't think of his last name, is preaching and praying people through on the internet in Vietnam mm. and teaching them every Wednesday morning at 5 o'clock. And uh, there's whole fields of incredible possibility of reaching the world mm. such as we've never known. Mm -hmm. So it, it, when when you think this through, right. um, it's it's... It's too complex to try to uh, memorize what all the machines do because, like you say, since you wrote the paper, machines do new things now. Yeah. And the exponential growth of that knowledge of how to do new things is, is increasing. It's accelerating, not slowing down. So I think that's, uh, that's what we have to do. As far as what Brother Blash said about the food, I think meat mm -hmm. is food. 
he thinks vegetables is food. Meat. But I don't eat vegetables because I don't believe in killing broccoli plants. Bishop, I think you're, I think you're right. The meta-narrative um, is going to always be the meta-narrative. We have to control, we have to create a local, as I mentioned in the paper, we have to create the local narrative. So we're dealing with fallen humanity, regenerated, saved, um, and, and, and empower them because it's not going anywhere. Technology is not going anywhere. And the meta-narrative is always going to be the meta-narrative because there's billions of people on this earth connected but I think the local narrative is, is, is where we as a church, each individual church, can make a difference by in, empowering those people. So, I agree with you. This brother's been waiting a long time here. Go ahead. Yes, my name is Leon Peltier, and I go to Cornerstone Church. Now, I know there's a saying that says, your eye is to pour hold of your soul. And, uh, and when I was a little boy, I still remember things as it was, actually, if it was like yesterday, things that I was when I was a little boy. And uh, how does the social? How do you think the social media deals with those those things there? Because when I want to say something is, uh, my pastor said a long time ago. He told me this. He told the whole congregation. He said, "Saints," he says, "I'm going to take the word of God, and I'm going to throw it right at you." He said, it's going to stick you right in your heart. He said, I'm not doing that to hurt you. He said, I'm doing that to cut out of your life. Things are not profitable for you or for, for God's kingdom. Now, the porthole to your soul. Now, since social media is dealing with our eyes, I just wanted to ask you, how do you feel, how do you feel about that? That this, about the social media dealing with our eyes and going down deep into our innermost being? Uh, the idea that what you see, uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, um, is accurate. I, I always go to the story of my, my son and my niece, who were probably six or seven years old. Um, and when they... Uh, we had one internet, this was just after dial-up, you all remember that sound, well, it was after that. We had just gotten our first um, high-speed lines, and my son and my niece were going online, they jumped on my computer, and they typed in, um, I think it was Disney or Tinkerbell, and immediately um, a porno site popped up. Uh, My wife ran, and I don't know if she unplugged the t- uh, the uh, TV, the uh, the computer, um, or whatever it was. But you can't unring a bell, and you can't unsee what you've seen. Um, but uh, you know, you can't unread what you read either. And uh, I think we're at a point where. You can drive down, uh, I'm new to the West Coast, I've just been here a couple of years, and I'm astounded many times by just driving down the road what I see. Uh, You know, I'm going to see it, it's a matter of 
guarding your heart. It's a matter of when it comes to the eyes, what do you do with it? It's guarding the heart from which flow the issues of life. It's a matter of, uh, and that's why I, uh, there are some websites, uh, news websites I won't go to. They've just become such trash because that drives traffic. Um, and so I've just determined I'm just not going to go there because I don't even want to read a headline guarding your heart. So it, it, to me, the, the issue is we're going to see what we see. We're going to hear what we hear. Um, you just have to decide for yourself, in my opinion, what is that thing you're going to see. But, but, but again, you're going to get in your car drive down the road. And you're going to, I've seen some bumper stickers here in California that just blow me away. Um, but you can't unsee it. And so uh, it's a, to me, it's an issue of guarding the heart when that information comes. And having the word of God as that filter as they come in, it blocks that, it grabs that, it, it brings it into captivity. So... I want to remind all of you that these sessions are being recorded and are for sale here through Cornerstone. This is a very interesting session. We have a few more minutes, and we're going to start right here. With Thank you, uh, Stephen Allard, uh, Abundant Life Christian Center, Modesto. And um, just a couple of observations first, and being, I think we, we tend to look at technology and we see the negative. And it's, it's, I, I think that every single one of us understand that there's a lot of negative that goes along with, with technology. Uh, however, I believe that you have um, delineated for us several ways that we can potentially uh, mediate the possibilities of, of negative, our negativity entering into our spirits and into our souls and into our churches because of that. I believe it's time that we potentially begin to consider what are the positive things that can come or what are the alternative plausibility structures that we can actually look at and see potentially good that can come from uh, the use of technology. Um, I think that one of the things we have to look at is that the narrative or the ways that people learn are much different than they were in previous ages. Um, Secularism is here, and one of the things that is so important about secularism is the importance of narrative and we can actually combat secularism through narrative because what you cannot prove scientifically or what you can prove scientifically we can answer with narrative because there's deep response when it comes to negative we can answer emotional needs we can answer uh, felt needs that you'll never be able to take and find through the sciences so that's important we also have to look at the idea that learning has changed since these devices have been placed in our hands. And so there's a new terminology that is being used, and it's called digit oral learners or digit orality, digitrality. So we have got to begin to, first of all, realize that if you're possibly my age or older, that we really don't even understand the question. And that is that people are learning differently than they did previously. When you go to college classrooms today, you find people that come to class that want to learn, but they cannot learn effectively in the way that you are delivering the information. We have got to begin to re-envision new ways to present the gospel. 
especially potentially with our Sunday school, with our youth, and potentially how that we engage with yep. the greater populace when it comes to the use of mobile devices. Digitality is not going to go away. Gamification is no longer something that is children's play. Gamification is used in the learning atmosphere. So the learning milieu is using these things. So what I'd like to see us possibly do is engage in ways that we can potentially look at how can we use technology to actually promote learning and promote the gospel and make sure that we uh, are engaging with the culture. We're living in a secularized society. We have to realize that. And while there may be other, other kinds of, of, of um, cultures, pluralism, uh, individualism, relativism, identity cultures, and then technology cultures, we have to realize we have to respond to them. So have you taken and literally begun to give any thought to the ideas of developing anything or thinking about who might be able to develop something that is digit orality focused learning? I, I know the concept you're speaking of. I have not, but but here's here's the beautiful thing. You know, one of the things I found being bilingual is the internet offers, for example, immediate translation. Now, twenty I will be honest with you. Ten years ago you did not want to use Google Translate. It was a train wreck. And then if you tried to use those words, it, 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 it created more of a barrier of communication. And really, I think at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, technology has the best ability to create a restorative effect when it comes to communication. Um, because it bridges waters. Uh, there are, uh, Bishop talked about someone getting baptized in another country. What you're talking about is bridging a communication gap or or an ability to be in a place. So missionally, there's huge implications for it. Um, huge implications with the ability of, of being able to reach people in other places, but then also at the same time here, with the large immigrant population that we have, and this goes to another subject that I, I will just say simply this, while they're here, why don't we reach them? And, and, and no longer can you say, well, I don't speak Spanish. One, one, the same teacher that told me about uh, the, the VR, virtual reality, he said, if you look at the Bay Area, that is where America is going in the next 20 to 30 years. Everybody thinks about Hispanics, but the, the Asian population is, is moving in rapidly. And so, um, you know, I don't speak Mandarin. I don't speak Vietnamese. I don't speak any of those languages, but I do now. And there are apps that are being created. So it can be a huge, huge communication bridge. So if that... I guess as a follow-up to that is that there is, there is something beyond simply using the device, though. And that is that the digitality idea is more than idea. It's very scientific from the standpoint of people learn differently 
today. It's not just that they engage in the process different. They learn differently because there's a re-hardwiring of the brain that's actually taking place. And, and I, I guess this is not a place that we can solve it because it's going to take someone a lot smarter than myself. myself. To be, but the idea is, is we have to begin to really engage this culture. Yes. And, you know, it's easy to put out simple answers, but this is a real deal. Yeah. And maybe this is not a real deal for us in this room that live in kind of a, a little bit of a cloistered uh, place. But when we get out to where people really are, yeah. it's, it's a lot different idea. Uh, one comment on that. Um, a few years ago, I, I was permitted to go into Cuba uh, with a group of people, um, with a group of apostolics to work with a group of apostolics in there on holiness and things of that nature. That first year I went to Cuba. Um, And Cuba is a very closed environment for anybody that's ever been there that you could attest to it. That year I saw one cell phone. It was the bishop. uh, And it was an older iPhone. Do you remember the old iPhone 3 or G's or something like that? It was black and it had the curved back. Uh, He had that. Within two years, the vast majority of people had iPhones. And Cuba even understands the power of internet that you could, to, to, when we first went through those first years, you had to go to a hotel, you had to go during specific times, you had to buy internet cards, and you had to be in those hotels, and then they shut it down. Within a few years now, you can go to Cuba, you still have to buy the cards, but now they have internet parks all over the city. It's a re- even, even secularized governments understand they're going to get information. They're going to have access somehow. Uh, so they are figuring ways to channel that. To your question about learning, uh, I, I don't know about in this, in, in this uh, pastors in this place, but how many have visitor cards where they fill out an iPad versus writing, you know, writing down things. My son, when he applied to college, uh, what, he went to a, a, a hybrid high school college, and, and when he sat down, he started, we all type like this, and we, you know, we're used to the open hand. He starts pecking like this, and I was like, oh, my God. Can, are you serious, Samuel? Why are you typing like that? And she looked at me, and she said, no, 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 no. She said, I want you to know something. That's every high schooler, because every high schooler does it with one finger. So it's even, it's not just shaping the way we think it's shaping the way we communicate and how we react. So, anyway. I saw a lady. Let's give a lady a chance to speak over here. Thank you. Susan Schaefer, Longview, Washington. Um, I teach Sunday school. And so we are doing work, and I'm dealing with worldly children. We're talking about the church issue here. You say we're dealing with a culture that all they know is technology, and learning is changing. How can we bridge this to reach sinners' kids? Because I can get the kids to come, but I can't get the parents to come, and I can't connect with them because they're not learning on the level that I am because I'm in that generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an interesting question. I, uh, I wish I had the answer for that. We recently moved to a, 
different model of Sunday school. And um, I just happened to be in my office one day, and I just kind of walked through the Sunday school area. And, man, those kids were bouncing off the walls and felt boards and, and, and um, you know, and it wasn't the teachers. We had one class had three, three teachers in it with, like, 12 kids. But they were just moving. And, and so, man, that's, that's because from what I understand now, and I'm a bit jealous, I was born in the wrong age. You go to school now and they give you a computer or they give you an iPad young, young on. So um, I had to go buy mine and uh, many of us had to. So it's, a, it's just a different time and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a reality that we'll have to face along with uh, what Dr. Allard said. It's, it's the way they're learning now. They're learning to type. And they're learning, you know, they've taken cursive writing out of school, and we all, oh, but they, you don't do cursive writing on an iPad. Um, and so it's, it's a very real challenge. I wish I had an answer for you, but at this point, it's, it's, it's something we all see. Uh, smarter people, as Brother Allen said, than I will have to kind of work through that. We're going to close this out. We're at the end. I know there are many more that would like to say something. My only thought, Dr. Galindo, is that I try to teach the young men in our church how to speak and preach in sound bites because that's the way people think now. Right. Dr. Galindo has presented a fabulous presentation tonight. Let's give him the hand that he deserves. Pastor Mayo.